We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. A land where Arsene Wenger's contemporary tactics and a well-drilled arsenal put forth the effort necessary to put Pep Guardiola's Manchester City to the sword and advance to the FA Cup Final. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We are... Truly through the looking glass, my friends, we are into the FA Cup Final, or the Arsene Wenger Cup Final, as I'm sure they will rename it eventually. Uh, And here to discuss it, I have almost as much talent as we saw on the pitch this weekend. It is first Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Next, it is Clive. You can find him on Twitter, at Clive PAFC. Hello again, Clive. Hello, Elliot. Great. Good. Glad we got that out of the way. And now, finally, making a triumphant return, albeit for 30 minutes. And that is it. We have Paul. He is on Twitter at Posnum on Pants. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks. Good choice on picking a back three for this pod. Yeah, I have picked a back three. Uh, I will be playing the role of Giroud up front. In other words, I will be totally useless, impotent, and extraneous, and the pod will improve once I am subbed off. But I digress. Uh, Let's get into it. And, Paul, I will start with you since your time is limited. Um, I don't know that you You could... You should really let me dominate this first half of the pod. That would be unusual. Um, So I don't don't know that uh, the... The performance against Burrow 
was as encouraging as maybe we would have liked to believe it was based on the tactical change that was made. But the manager stuck with what he did at Burrow, and this time it bore fruit. Were you happy and surprised to see him continue with the back three and go unchanged into the FA Cup semifinal? I think I was more surprised and surprised. I think it, it takes some balls to decide that you're basically your second game ever. I mean, I know we played a back three in in 1872 under Wenger with uh, Herbert Chapman and Tony Adams and second Sir Chips Keswick. But basically, this is the second time ever against Pep back three Guardiola. Uh, it's pretty ballsy. So I absolutely, I, yes, I was surprised, but surprised. So um, did it make sense to do it? Well, when Arson explains it, he, he explains it as much as anything as one part sleight of hand, in other words, confuse his own team by putting playing against a different formation so they forget they've no confidence in each other in the game plan. And one part defensive solidity, um, which yes and no, of course, uh, on this showing much more so against Middlesbrough, it was Middlesbrough, it was uh, more debatable how, how much f- defensive solidity, but I guess it's a low bar of comparison given our previous performances. Um, and it does play to an area of strength. We, we've arguably, depending on who's doing the arguing, five good centre-backs and a few good wing-back uh, options. So um, w- where we may struggle to find a midfield three that we can say really works when you're relying on a midfield three, we can find a, apparently we can find a decent-looking midfield two and five players to surround them and to give them some kind of security. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a system that you can see is clearly evolving. I don't think every player is totally comfortable in it. Um, although, you know, we got the result and we got a performance, particularly in the second half and an extra time. We'll get to that. But, Tim, I want to talk first half, first of all. And I thought we maybe rode our luck a little bit first half. Um, we defended very deep and didn't see a lot of the ball. But one of the things that we saw in the first half was a lot of rotational fouling, a very aggressive and physical Arsenal team, uh, which is not something that you would traditionally associate with Arsene Wenger's Arsenal since the Invincibles disbanded. Do you think that was a tactic um, that they discussed ahead of time? Yeah, I I think maybe it was. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, in terms of cynical tactics, my expectations of Arsenal are so low that I, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, and when I was kind of caught up in the heat of the game, you know, you know what it's like. You're always convinced that the referee is absolutely dead against you. And uh, you know, I was I was really annoyed about the decision, for example, where a company is not booked for a completely cynical foul over by the touchline, and then two minutes later, Alexis gets booked for exactly the same thing. And Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, reflecting on it, yes, quite possibly. I mean, ultimately, we kind of, whether intentionally or not, kicked their two best players out of the game. I, I um, joked on Twitter Aguero, that we may have seen our best two centre-back performances of the season uh, in <laughs> kicking two of their players off the pitch. Yeah, yeah, because Aguero went off injured. Uh, make no mistake, and there's been an update on that today for I've seen on City's Twitter feed about him, you know, uh, being 50-50 for their game on Wednesday night. So um, maybe that was intentional. Um, I don't really know, but I, I agree. I think in the first half, um, you know, the first kind of 15 minutes, both teams were feeling each other out a bit, but I, I started to feel like City were getting the game un, under control after that. 
And it wasn't just a case that, you know, we, we obviously adopted that tactic again that we tried at the Etihad where we tried to sit off them a little bit. Um, and, you know, the, the shape was generally quite good from the players. Uh, and actually that's, that's kind of what got us through. But yeah, we did, we did ride our luck on occasion. I did feel like in the first half, maybe it was exacerbated because it was right down below me, but um, in the first half, I had kind of Monreal on holding uh, down our side. And to me, it looked like they hadn't quite sorted their spacing out um, and that Monreal kept kind of wanting to drift back into that, almost that left centre-back position. Um, he sorted that out emphatically in the second half, I must say, but they, they still didn't quite see it. Well, Monreal still didn't seem quite sure of his spacing down there. And I was... I was kind of scared um, about what, what might happen. And I think, you know, we rode our luck a bit. But ultimately, um, you know, this is what happens when you put the required effort in. Um, sometimes, you know, if you want to win any big game, you're going to have to ride your luck at points. You know, nobody, um, or it's very, very rare that, you know, in these sorts of games, may, maybe sometimes against us in the past, but... It's very rare that these games are decided on anything other than small details. If you want to win these games, generally you're going to have to ride your luck a bit. And to do that effectively, you have to just put the required effort in and keep the defensive shape going. And, and I felt like, even though I felt like City were beginning to turn the gears a little bit, um, that Arsenal were kind of quite consciously hanging in there Um and they knew they were hanging in there, but they were doing what was required to hang in there. It wasn't completely by felicity. It was they understood they were on the back foot, but they kind of just about observed enough of the basics to get through it, which, you know, is just something we have not seen from this team for quite a long time now. So that was that was very enthusing. But, yeah, I, I felt like in the first half, they we still saw that the back three... You know, it did give us a bit more security, but that perhaps a couple of the players still weren't quite sure. And Jacker and Ramsey didn't quite look sure. And, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to the Giroud thing. So there, there were a we few will pieces indeed, there. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few pieces there that weren't quite working and it took us some time. But, you know, we, we observed those defensive basics well enough to, to, you know, to hang on in there until such time that we could feel our way into the game. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, Clive, I think I, I would like to believe on this podcast that we talk about tangible things, that we talk about tactics and system and data that the, the comes out of the match to help us analyze performances and draw conclusions. But I, I am not a believer that those are the only things that matter in a match. And I know there are some people that yeah. say narratives like effort and desire and teamwork and things like that are largely illusory. Uh, but I think they exist, and I think we've seen them from this Arsenal the last two games. Um, especially in the first half, did you see a commitment and an effort to the cause that maybe had been lacking in the poor run of form prior to Middlesbrough? Absolutely, right? So one of my sayings is, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? And it's, we, we started to work hard, but I think sometimes we get caught up with the, why have we gone to a back three? And I think what he's done, rather than, you know, it's not just a tactical move. I think it's a psychological move. I think I've been calling myself for a three in midfield, and three really is a magic number here, right? So a three in midfield. And the only reason why is I felt we've been too vulnerable. We can see too many shots. 
and all the data is telling us that. You know, we you know our shots on target against numbers is the is the highest in the top seven, right? So, so we have a problem. So three in midfield was my solution. Never thinking he'd go to three at the back, but actually three in the back works psychologically for the team because what it does. It actually changed the emphasis to how they're thinking about the game more easily. Because now, you know, we've gone from being the absolute worst off-the-ball team in the league to a team that now visibly cares about what they're doing off the ball, visibly cares about their distances between the lines, visibly cares about their their front-to-back spacing. And, and, we're taught, and you can see it. You can see the players pointing and shouting and pulling each other. We are more positionally aware. And I wasn't, you know, this one, sometimes, you know, and Tim will tell you, when you go to a game, I didn't go to this one, I, I chose not to. I started a new job today and I wanted to have a sober head, right? So so I sat there and really connected to this game. And I felt quite comfortable with the first half, chances or not. Because as a fan group, as a club, we got to recognise in these big games, other teams are going to have their moments, right? And, and and they did. And we and we went through them. I just kept thinking, can we make it a 20-minute game? Because we'll get them. And if, we, and if we're in the game late, then it becomes a talent game. And that suits us. What generally happens is our mentality cracks. We concede one or two. and We haven't got the fortitude and the effort to come back in these big games. But what we did, we tested City's mentality, City's fitness. And we ended that game much stronger than them. And I, I thought if you know, we'd go into it, but I thought if we either executed on our counter-attack better, that could have been a two, three goal gap if, with the luck on our side. So um, I was incredibly impressed with the changing emphasis to be far more balanced between on and off the ball. And I think three in the back, it's been a psychological switch to make the players realise this is what we expect from each other. So I would say that uh, fitness was a big feature of this game and something we will come to later because I think that one of the biggest differences we saw in the last maybe 30 minutes of the second half and the entire period of extra time was just our superior fitness and how badly Manchester City faded from being able to contest the midfield and the counterattacks. Having said that, Paul, we struggled to break free from their press early on in the game and get out. And you would figure with players like Shaka and Ramsey and Ozil on the pitch um, that we'd find a way out of our half and into the counterattack. But that didn't happen what would you say were the biggest factors to why we couldn't get our counterattack working uh, in the first half? Well, I certainly think uh, confidence and uh, fluency. I mean, we were going into this on the back of the Middlesbrough game, which, if you like, the, the big lift from that was we got three points against Middlesbrough. There wasn't... You could find other reasons to... To, to find some level of confidence, but mainly the main le- main confidence came from the fact that we weren't as shit as we were in previous games. We didn't concede three. So you're going in against City, um, who are a bit of a, a mixed bag, but generally, obviously, clearly favorites. Um, and you could say on an upturn. And, and this just seemed like their kind of of encounter because if we went with the three at the back uh you know it's guardiola he knows how to take that apart and when you look at their front four of um sane uh aguero silva and kevin de bruyne that you know take some stone uh, stones to think that uh stone is with uh de bruyne it takes some stones <laughs> to think 
you're going to outfox Guardiola. I, I did like the that he dressed up just like Arson on the touchline with the sweater and the the tie and everything. That was that was a nice. Um, you can dress like Arson, but it doesn't mean you can be the tactical innovator that Arson is. No, it does not. And I think Arteta's uh, regretting making that jump to City's side after seeing our tactical innovation. Absolutely. But um, so uh, so yeah, I think the first half, uh, Guardiola kind of knew what he was doing, knows how to press, and uh, no his team are more organized in that in that area as you would expect. And conversely, you know, we were we lacked a little confidence and belief at that point. And by as Clive says, by hanging in there, uh, by the time the second half came, uh, by the time our fitness began to make a little difference, by the time we started winning every second, not every, but more and more second balls and starting to feel it, um, you could see us coming on. So, you know, w- w- chicken and egg, but confidence, I think, had quite a bit to do with it. And just getting used to the system. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, Middlesbrough, well, you know, our first game in in 97 years with the back three and your second one's against City in a, in a semi, you probably need a good half to kind of start feeling it. And at the same time, City kind of opened the door a little bit by by uh, from a fitness standpoint, not being quite as competitive in the midfield. Yeah, I think also we, we didn't have the technical quality to play out through midfield in transition. I thought Ramsey in particular, but Ramsey and Shaka both kind of struggled to wriggle free and get their way out of trouble deep in our own half. And, and the, what little trouble we, we found and pressure we were under was caused largely by ourselves, by, by losing the ball in those situations. Um, but, Tim, I know you... Yeah, we'll talk about this, but I do think the Welbeck-Giro switch brought us into a new gear. I think I mean, it changed the whole game, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely come that on to that. also come... At the same time, as the fitness and more confidence, but obviously that gives us much more threat in behind. So, Well, and that's what I wanted to get to, because Tim, you've been vocal about it on Twitter, and I've been vocal about it for mm. seemingly his entire Arsenal career, but uh, it doesn't seem to be a formation that suits Olivier Giroud, and on this day, he didn't really provide the out ball. I mean, maybe the manager's thinking is that we could kick it long to him, and he'd win the first ball and provide the second ball um, to send in Ozil or... Alexis, and I, I guess that did happen on one occasion. I can think uh, Ozil had a couple situations where he was in uh, behind City's back line but didn't want to use his right foot. Uh, he used it quite brilliantly against Middlesbrough to score the winner, but he, he didn't seem to want to use it uh, in those situations, tried to take the extra touch inside, and the opportunity was gone. But is that really where you saw our ability to break their press uh, fall apart was with Giroud being selected as the front man? Um, maybe. I, I mean, I think it was it was obviously quite deliberate. Arsenal played a lot of long balls um, in this game, and that was obviously designed to try and break their press um, a little bit. So I can kind of understand why they played, why Giroud was played. And I think Paul's completely right as well that, yes, Welbeck, you know, his introduction did change the game. But um, I think that has to be taken in context with the fact that City were, you know, were tiring both teams were tiring the game was a little bit more stretched and I'm you know I'm not sure Welbeck would have had quite that impact had he started the game for example but with um with the option to go long to try and break the press I think you can still do that with Welbeck and not just because he's quite good in the air and quite good at holding it up but because you can go into the channels um and that actually that's actually his big strength and where did the winning goal come from 
um, him chasing a ball in the channel. And actually, you know, the begin- what was quite interesting was that Welbeck came on up front, but in extra time, Arsene switched it and he put Welbeck on the left and, and Alexis up front. And, and ultimately, that gave us our goal because Welbeck won the free kick by ploughing that left channel. And then Alexis was in the six-yard box to score the winner. So um, it proved to be quite an inspired move. Um, but yes, I, I don't think this um, this formation really suits Olivier Giroud. I think perhaps now um, it's it's obvious in hindsight that Wenger picked that team at Middlesbrough because he knew it was going to be the one that was going to start at Wembley and he wanted to give them a game together because I, I didn't quite get, even without Welbeck available, I didn't quite get putting Giroud up front against Middlesbrough. It didn't strike me as a as a particularly sensible thing to do for that individual game. So it, it it looks for all the world like he knew that was going to be a starting eleven for City, that he wanted Giroud there for the long balls. So he wanted to give them a game together against, uh, let's face it, even in our form, that was that was relatively meagre opposition. And Koscielny, I think, has said today that they've been working on that back three in training for two weeks, um, that, they, that they did it, you know, pretty much straight away after they came in after the Palace game and Wenger said something like I've had this in mind um, for a little while so I think you know there's there's probably a good chance that as soon as we were drawn against City in the semi um, that perhaps he was thinking about this um, didn't show his hand for the league game against them at the Emirates but but decided to do it for the semi but I still think Giroud had exactly the same problem that he had at Middlesbrough in that he just didn't know where to stand. Um, he either managed to get in everyone's way or, you know, in the next play, he obviously thought, well, I keep bumping into Alexis and, you know, I keep pissing him off. And then so he managed to put himself in a pocket of space where he was nowhere near the ball. And there was a little bit of a, not an altercation, that's overstating it, but there was a point when, um, you know, we were under quite a bit of pressure and Alexis looked for Giroud from the left-hand side and Giroud didn't meet the ball in time. And, you know, Alexis did his usual kind of gesticulation, like, you know, he was he was telling him, like, get here quicker. Um, and Giroud, obviously a little bit a little bit perturbed, and I'd, I'd suggest that there's probably, that, that this is probably a feeling that's been building from him because he very visibly told Sanchez to calm down. Um, and I, I think I took that as a kind of, look, you always fucking do this. Stop doing this all the time. That it was like a, a built anger, like, oh my God, shut up and get off my case. But I, I kind of agreed with Alexis at that point. Really, we needed him to come and take the pressure off. And he, yeah, he, he just hasn't really worked out where to stand and where to be at any one time because, you know, he hasn't got fantastic movement. And you look at player, a player, you know, he's got Ozil behind him who loves moving into space. Um, then you've got Alexis, who's just everywhere. And Giroud doesn't really fit that dynamic. It feels like he either just goes and stands where Ozil wants to stand, or he just bumps into Alexis when Alexis is doing one of his shuttle runs and he doesn't really understand where to be. Whereas Welbeck's one of those attackers who attacks the channels a little bit more. Um, and actually, the, the channel is not an area that Alexis tends to run into. He runs there with the ball, but not without the ball. Um, he tends to stay quite wide. So I, I think overall that's just a much better dovetail. But to be quite honest with you, I, I would still have Alexis at the head of that formation and I'd probably have Ramsey and Ozil behind him. That That's how I think it would function best going forward if indeed we continue to use this system. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, it's interesting because we rode our luck a little bit in the first half. I, I still think we played well and we defended well, but we weren't really having a go at them. And then we came out in the second half and looked like we were ready to play our part in what became an excellent cup tie. And Clive, it, it's sort of typical Arsenal in a way. I mean, at, at the end of the last podcast, I had called for us to just have a go at them. And we hadn't really done yep. that in the first half, and we did in the second half. And so it is kind of fitting and ironic, of course, that that's when we concede uh, at about the hour mark. It was kind of typical Arsenal in the sense that we seem to be okay defending if we sit and defend. We still don't seem to be a team that fully understands the balance of attacking without leaving yourself totally exposed. How do you explain Cunaguero being marked basically 1v1 at the halfway line by Nacho Monreal um, at, at that point in the match? And is it just a reminder that we still have to learn the balance um, of attacking and, and not leaving ourselves totally vulnerable? Uh, and then maybe you can also just sort of touch on where you think the fault lied in that particular sequence. Yeah, well, I think on on that goal, that's that's where you miss the Bellerin, right? Because Bellerin is normally the person that, you know, on those sort of moves, is actually our last man, and and he doesn't get out of run very often. It looked like one of those small details we got wrong. I mean, we was well on top, and you could see the two players, you know, Shaka and Monreal, just sort of watching the play build, thinking we're in control, and they're just creeping forward in their own half. And the Guerrero thinking, well, I'm going to walk forward to the halfway line because, you know, I'm not going to be offside. And, of course, it breaks down. I mean, it's classic Arsenal, right? We're on top. We get a bit excited. We get a bit childlike. And Ramsey gets the ball. And we know the simple thing was one touch, whip the ball into the middle where we had four or five players in there. Well, that's really the first problem, right? In the first phase of play, you have Ramsey in a crossing position and the players flood the box and the cross doesn't come. It cost doesn't come, right? So and I'm not going to, you know, in every goal, there's four or five mistakes, right? So I'm not going to just pick on him, right? So, But it is it is sort of an issue that he has. Sometimes he wants to overplay him. I'm, in my opinion there, he's taking on Yaya Toure. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, physically, speed-wise, d- dynamic-wise, that's a mismatch, right? So just move the ball. Move the ball and, the, and cut all their good players out. So... But he's he's lost the ball, and they've gone straight at us. But when you look at that, there's no way in that level of quality of game should one straight ball cut out the entire Arsenal team and a guy running one-on-one onto our goalkeeper. And it, it did look a little bit sort of amateur time. And I mean, it's so amateur time that I actually, I didn't, you know, I didn't blame Ramsey on the day. He made a mistake, but losing the ball on the edge of your position area shouldn't result in a goal about three seconds later. You know, that's what it felt like. And so I don't blame him in, in the entirety. I think, again, it comes back to fine details. Structurally set up correctly. Make sure you have the right profile of player as your last man. Make sure you have a Gabriel there. Or, or you make sure you have one of your faster players to make sure we can't be outrun. I mean, Shaka and Monreal, you know, this isn't Linford Christian and Usain Bolt, right? So it's a, it's an issue for us. So we got done. But again, it, I didn't, I wasn't distraught. I don't know how it felt in the ground to him, but I wasn't distraught because mm. we was on top for the first time. And I just, I looked around and I looked around and thought, this is going to be okay. 
I can't tell how and when. I just it looked like there was a goal okay. in it for us if we kept playing the way we were, right? And by exactly. the way, a quick word for Petr Cech. I mean, one of the rare situations where I think if Hospina's in goal, he, he probably comes out and, and prevents that, doesn't he? Yeah, Petr Cech, Petr Cech okay, he, he made a great save later on from, um, from Yaya, right? And, just too you know, slow off so his good. line. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't like coming out. And I still, I feel this is an issue. It's a real issue for us. I think, you know, the way modern football's going, it, it really is leaning towards more aggressive goalkeepers that have aggressive starting position, that want to use their feet, that are far more controlling of their box. And funny enough, we have one at Roma and we have one coming up in, in Emmy Martinez that have that type of profile, right? So I think we need, Petr was required two years ago. We need some leadership. I really think we have a decision to make at some point when to upgrade that position. And sometimes you've got to do it slightly ahead of time to make sure you get some value back. But um, I, I don't see that situation improving. However, every game he makes a big save. Right? So, um, and, he, and, he, and he made one again against City. Yeah. I, look, I, I'm not by any means uh, slating Petr Cech, who I still think is a better keeper than he's being given credit for lately. It's just that, especially for a team like Arsenal that so often has players running in virtually unmarked towards our keeper, we might need more of a sweeper keeper the way we play. Um, and that is certainly not his skill set. Um, Paul, since I know your time is running short, let's get to, uh, we'll kind of not skip ahead per se, but uh, give you a chance to at least give us your man of the match because Oxley chamberlain delivers the ball that Nacho Monreal puts in the back of the net to get us level. And those were my two standout players on the day. Who was yours? Uh, Ox and Gabe. Um, Ox just Ox gets it because he was a little bit, little flashier, a little more standout. So if I'm handing over a bottle of champagne, it's to to him. I, I think he's just he's been sus- uh, sensational. And even on the the defending end, I mean, y- you would expect Sane to have had a hell of a game, but really those two players, Gabe and uh, the Ox, really kind of boxed him. Gabe is Gabriel, um, right? Just, just so we're clear. Yeah. Okay, make it. Yeah, sure. yeah, sorry. Um, and, you know, early on, uh, Ox showed no fear at going at Sané and, and tricks and skills and beating him. And he just couldn't miss. He ran at any player, took him on, beat him. Um, I think he set a tone. I think if you look at belief, probably 50% of the belief we came out of the first half with was what the Ox had done. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought Sanchez was kind of quiet. Um, I, I actually thought that what he was doing was important and significant, but it wasn't as eye-catching as the usual, you know, Sanchez carrying the team on his back. If there was a player who carried the team on the, his back, it was the Ox and defensively the three centre-backs. But I think Gabe was... You know, if those two were new signings and we'd only seen them over the last few games, we'd be like, wow, we've signed two worldies. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> we've seen them in some previous games. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, yeah you have to impress with them. I, I think the thing with Oxley Chamberlain is that from that right wing back position, he's giving us a little bit of what we lost in Santi Cazorla, isn't he? Which is someone who can collect the ball a little deeper and and spray some nice passes, certainly, but but beat a man off the dribble, which neither none of our... Uh, central midfielders have really been doing since Cazorla left. Yeah, and with his pace, I mean, you know, he's he's taken, I'm not saying he's faster than Sané, but 
but he bursts through Sané and leaves him for dead. He bursts through every, every time he beats a player, they stay beat. So he's, you know, he's broken the lines. He's opened the field right up. So he catches them with their pants down, which is very nice to see. Uh, um, I don't know. You know, there are not a lot of players I want to see caught with their pants down. Uh, the handsome French bastard aside, but uh, well, let, let me yeah. do this. There's a lot more of the match I want to get to, but since you are saying goodbye, just uh, quickly yeah. overall the sense of exuberance and excitement that came from this game. We'll talk more about this after you're gone, but I wanted to give you a chance. Um, I mean, this is certainly the most exhilarated I've felt by the Arsenal since the Chelsea win earlier in the season, and not a lot of moments like this over the past few seasons. Um, is this this excitement, this exhilaration, the feeling that we've been desperately missing and, and what really the club needed right now? Did it sort of return some of the excitement that maybe had been lost about about Arsenal at this point? Yeah, of course. And for the team itself. I mean, uh, it's critical timing. Uh, of course, everything can change within a week. So we'll see where we're at after Spurs. But going into the, the game at White Hart Lane, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, Let's not give ourselves three points we against Leicester just yet, but okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and so um, I think it's a big Philip, as they say. And the nice thing about the final being basically last game of the season, um, I think it, it solves a lot of problems, maybe not in the long term, but the short, short, medium term. I think it's, it's a massive bomb uh, to, to our wounds. So I think, um, of course, it can all go to hell in the handbasket, but even if it does, at least there's an FA Cup final at the end of it. Yeah, look, and you have to have... Battle. Yeah, I was just going to say, you have to have something that the players are, are looking forward to to make the season worthwhile. And had we lost, it would have been very easy to feel that the rest of the season was just sort of uh, a footnote, uh, an afterthought. Now it doesn't feel that way. Um, and it will give them reason to want to stay invested in the season because they have something they need to be prepared for at the end of it. Um, and, it's allowed, and it's allowed the manager to make changes on account of the formation that mightn't you know, he has continued excuses to change any players without uh, people being able to get too ruffled because this formation. I think we've lost Paul, which is actually pretty decent timing considering that he was about you know, to say. You know, we're going to play three clips. I mean, who's like when? Paul, yeah. it looks like. You can't like drop the ox. You can't drop. It looks like yeah. however many coins you put in your internet machine, uh, your time has expired. So you right. want to just say a quick goodbye, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you after the next one. Adios, adios, my friend. Thank you. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Uh, he is coming from an undisclosed hotel room, and it sounds like they've shut down his Wi-Fi account. So uh, we appreciate him coming on, as always, Tim. Um, after they they scored, it, it felt a little bit against the run of play, but the heads didn't drop. We stayed engaged, um, and and we got the reward for that with the goal. But what really seemed to change the game for me was the introduction of Danny Welbeck and his pace and the way we were able to run it, what seemed to be really an unfit Manchester City side. Were you surprised at how much they faded physically and how we were able to start to dominate them in the sprints? Uh, yes, a little bit, but I do think a lot of that will have been because they had to make a change quite early with David Silva and um, a really dynamic player for them, someone who, a bit like Cazorla for us, perhaps higher up the pitch, he really quickens up the pace of their game, um, not through sprints, but how quickly he receives and moves the ball in pockets of space, and I think that that was very significant. But also that, that means, I know they, they bring on... Uh, 
you know, a kind of fresh player at that point. But I think what Wenger was quite smart about was that he saved his subs. Um, and not least because you get you get to make an extra sub in extra time as well, which I forgot about. Um, but yeah, he and he, he actually he did this very well in the 2014 FA Cup final where um, I think he did bring on Sonogo quite late, but he had a double substitution up his sleeve in extra time. Um, he brought Wilshire and Rosicki on in extra time just as Hull were tiring and it really, really changed it for us and kind of enabled us to get that winning goal. Um, so I, I think Wenger was quite smart there. I think he was quite deliberate in not bringing Welbeck on until the 83rd minute. And at that point, it's one all. So he knows there's a very good chance it's going to extra time. Um, and, you know, that, that just gives us that extra burst. And then we brought Bellerin on um, in extra time. And, you know, that's that's another player who gives you, albeit he came on for Chamberlain, who it looked like had a bit of a, a bit of problem, cramped up a little bit. But, you know, bringing on a, a fresh Hector Bellerin in extra time, that's also pretty significant. Um, and it felt like he was kind of, he was holding back. He wasn't really revealing his hand. So I, I was a little bit surprised. But, you know, that City team, it's not that young. Um, you know, they've got the, the spine there um, that they were playing. The likes of um, David Silva and Vincent Company, you know, Yaya Toure, who, you know, albeit I thought had a really good game. But none, none of them are particularly young. Um, and actually, a lot of their younger players were injured. John Stones was injured. Gabriel Jesus was injured. So all of their youth and pace was in one part of the pitch. Um, and it was through largely through Sterling and Sane. But they just didn't have that injection of youth elsewhere. Um, and I, I felt like Arsenal... Yeah, I felt like we were a bit fitter. But um, I do think that was a little bit down to the circumstance. It was a little bit down to, you know, they had to take Silva and Aguero. I know Aguero was quite late, but they had to take those players off. So two of Guardiola's um, biggest hands were forced, really. But yeah. I, I think Arsen used his substitutions really, really well. And I think we can give him credit on this occasion and and kind of give him the benefit of the doubt and say that that was deliberate and planned. Yeah, and I, I think Welbeck's introduction absolutely changed the match. Um, mm. It came at a time when they were tiring. It came at a time when the game had opened up anyway. It seemed like you know, both teams decided what the hell we're going to go for it, and they couldn't live with his pace. The long balls were suddenly finding a home in the channels deep into their attacking third. And, I mean, were it not for his wastefulness, unfortunately, the game could have been comfortable um, in the end. But... Uh, Clive, I have a couple questions for you. The first one is really just yep. a very, very quick one, just something I wanted to touch on because I think it was a significant moment from the match. Uh, did you feel more comfortable at any point in the entire match than seeing Gail Clichy shaped to shoot on his right foot from 20 yards out? No, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. And, uh, and he messed up in the six-yard box to give us the winning goal as well. So, love it. Yeah, it was pretty much prototypical Gail Clichy performance. Good to know that even after all these years, he's still got it. Um, do, do you know that uh, Gail Clichy was right-footed when he was a youngster? Yep. I did know that, and his dad made him work on his yeah. left foot. They and, uh, trained the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, he does play right back the odd time for him, and you can, and people worry and they get concerned, but he, he is very two-footed, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's only got two brain cells, which is uh, to our benefit. Gail Clichy, for me, will never be forgiven for what happened in the, what was it, 07 the season. The 4-4. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say the, was it 
the day uh, Eduardo got Birmingham injured. Game. Was that Birmingham? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That lost us the title yeah. that season. Um, he, no, he, I, he gave away the penalty, right? Stop it, stop it. Why are we talking about that? Forget moving moving on. Um, the 4-4. Yeah, let's not bring that up either. Um, okay, Clyde. Yeah. Man of the match for you. Um, okay, to be to be um, slightly different because I did I, I do think Gabriel was was absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I do think the whole back five unit was 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 exceptional actually, and um, I, I just think what we got to realise. I'm sorry to take the, take it away slightly, but I, I, but I have to. I think we have to recognise what this what this switch information has done. It has basically we found about five or six players out of nowhere. You know, and um, and so I'm actually, I, I, you know, we could give the holding, for example. So, you know, that's that's the first time he's ever been to Wembley in his whole life as a human being. I mean, I've been there. More what about as a frog years. or a horse? Has he been to Wembley as well? Right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> he's never even been to visit, and he ends up walking into that atmosphere for his first ever time at Wembley, and um, he started a little bit shaky, and then he did just grew into the game, and he just looks, you know, he just looks like. I mean, he's a young boy. He's got no shoulders yet. Wait till get him into the gym. Wait until he grows into his body. Yeah, his that's when we can really just... start to see the muscle problems develop and the injuries and the <laughs> yeah, long-term well, absences. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe Hector Bellerin needs to get out of the gym, by the way, because he's developed... Or out of the hair salon, there. one or the other. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. But, you know, but you know, you remember when Koscielny first came to Arsenal, he's not, he's not the, the physique he is right now, right? And the mm-hmm. same for Giroud, actually. And um, So that he will get better. He will only get better. And... Um, What's interesting is he's coming to a struggling team, lacking in confidence, and we look more confident for a young kid being in our back line. And that's a that's a huge credit to him. Obviously, we've got a situation here. We are worried about the Ox and we're worried about Ozil. Sorry, we're worried about Sanchez, worried about Ozil's contract. But, you know, we should be worried, more worried about the Ox's contract because he's 23, he's, he's English, he can, he's played in seven positions this season, and... As far as I'm concerned, last two three months, he's been our best player. Right, and anything that stops him is, is injury. Every time he plays four games, something happens and he misses two, and then we then he has to wait to get back in. He just can't seem to get any sort of um, continuity. And, and Tim, you'll know the numbers, I'm sure. But I thought I'm sure I read he, he hasn't played more than five consecutive games. Was that right or something like that? I mean, it's a really low number before something happens, either injury or change, or he gets dropped or something. That's a, that's a he needs to fix that because he's finally started to convince people, but it's just very hard for him to stay fit. And there was rumours that he, you know, potentially didn't leave the stadium in good shape yesterday. So, um, yeah, for me, I think it's a collective. It's a collective, and I think psychologically now the team has something to hold on to. And, yeah, and, you know, I'm starting to recognize, you know, the Arsenal Football Club again. Yeah. And look, I mean, you, you can see how a back three can suit center backs who don't necessarily look self-assured in a back four. Um, all you have to do is look at David Luiz at Chelsea, right? I mean, he is yep. not the best positionally, but when he has those two other center backs with him, he's good with the ball at his feet. He's a good distributor. He has pace. He can move. Yep. And, and as long as he's got people covering his back, he's, you know, he's a very fine defender. Uh, Gabriel might be an example of a player who similarly benefits from that extra cover. Um, Tim, do you want to... Mustafi, mm-hmm. sorry, mate, Mustafi also, we've we said before on here, Mustafi suits the back three also. Absolutely. Right? He does it for Germany. And um, what you do in the back three is you reduce the space people have to cover. You reduce their jobs. 
And I just think it's made them all grow. And I think um, psychologically, we're quite weak. and We've now made ourselves stronger, which means we can compete. And we just won a big game, right? So I think it's a masterstroke for the manager. Yeah, well, he needed something. We've been talking for weeks that he has been searching for an answer and hasn't seemed to have found it. And, you know, he may have found it now. Tim, I would like someone other than myself to wax poetic a little bit about the performance of Nacho Monreal, who I thought was excellent in a period of his career where people are sort of ready to walk into the glue factory and we've already bought a left back and, you know, he's been much maligned. I thought this was an exceptional performance. Yeah, like I said, I I thought he really sorted it out after a kind of half an hour or so where he and Holding, I think, between them hadn't quite worked out the spacing. And, And, you know, it just shows his kind of his capacity to learn, his capacity to adapt. I, you know, I've been I've been really, really annoyed, um, actually, by a lot of the criticism he's got, and uh, from this season, people saying, "Oh, he's getting roasted by all these average wingers," and I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands, going, "How many individuals are we going to crucify, particularly defenders, before we realise that, that there's a theme uh, in operation here?" And, you know, in the beginning of the season, we were playing Iwobi on the left wing. And, look, I love, you know, I love Iwobi. I think he's a fantastic player. But, you know, defensively, he's really, really not there yet by, you know, his own admission. So, you know, it was making Nacho's workload really, really, you know, really, really difficult. And, you know, I've, I've played quite a bit of fullback myself. And, you know, it's, it's easy when you sit there and you just see like a winger fly by a fullback and you just go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, He's been roasted there. But when you've got no support and you've got a winger and then you've got the fullback galloping up um, at the same time, there's not really much you can do. Because if you commit yourself, you know, you let the fullback go in behind you into the space. And if you don't commit yourself, then, you know, the cross just goes in and everyone goes, oh, why didn't he stop the cross? Um, Whereas yesterday, with with that extra little kind of blanket, I I thought the role that holding and... Um, Gabriel had was really really was really really important because I think where we've been done by City a few times this season is in that little corridor between the full back and the centre half you look at how Sane scored you look at how Sterling scored at the Etihad look at how Aguero scored at the Emirates Um, unfortunately the first goal we conceded was pretty much a carbon copy of the first goal we conceded at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago Um, but you know they they're very good at exploiting that little space with Sterling and Sane um, between the centre-back and 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 the full-back. And, and that's why I'm thinking, in hindsight, that, that he really went for the back three against Middlesbrough with this game in mind. Um, and, you know, Monreal, the, the amount of crosses he blocked and, you know, he, he the thing is, as well, he stays on his feet, which is a very, very good trait for a full-back to have. And where he's got that kind of, for a game like this, where he's got that kind of, um, you know, he's he's more like a, like, you know, when we play Hector at right back, he's like a right winger that we have at full back. And, you know, Monreal's a bit like Sanya used to be. He's more like a centre half that plays a bit wider. He's a more defensive, you know, conservative kind of full back. And I thought yesterday, you know, he really, really grew into the game. And again, um, you know, and I thought, I thought, Monreal did pretty well against uh, Man City at the Emirates, who, you know, for the second time in three weeks, Sterling was hooked by Guardiola. And that yeah. tells you, um, and I think Sterling's a superb player, by the way. I think he's an absolutely terrific player. And 
Pep has hooked him twice in the last three weeks against Nacho Monreal, and I think there's no greater commendation for his performance than that. And it just goes to show you when there's a slightly more secure system, you know, as Clive said, we we found all these players all of a sudden. All of a sudden, Gabriel isn't a disaster area. All of a sudden, Monreal's not getting doubled up on all the time. You know, and all of a sudden, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has really found a position that he can thrive in. And, you know, all, and Ozil's come back to us in the last couple of games. And it just goes to show you, and I, and I really, really hope that at some point people learn this, that while individuals are quite often culpable for their own performance, I think with Arsenal, you've got to take a, take a little step back and look at, the, the kind of the scenario, the environment they're asked to play in and think, do you know what, maybe this isn't down to individuals. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not still not 100% convinced yet that this formation is, you know, the one for us. I think it's one we can use on occasion. But I think at the moment what it is, and Wenger's intimated this very strongly, is it's like a confidence trick for his players. And at the moment, I'd, I'd just ride it for as long as it's good. And if it gets us over the line for this season and it gets us, you know, as cl- if we can get into the top four still or if we can win the FA Cup, if it just gets us over the line um, and the players are happy with it or they think they're happy with it, then then I'm fine with that. And then we can reevaluate in the summer. But, yeah, I, you know, going back to your original question, I thought I thought Nacho really grew into the game. And that's one of the things I really like about him, how adaptable he is. Remember that spell he played at centre-half a couple of years ago? Yeah. <clears throat> And, you know, the first game or so, he looked a bit rusty. But then after that, he actually played really, really well there. And it, it, that shows you a player that's that's adaptable, that's humble, that's willing to learn. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I really, really hope that people um, give him a little bit more credit. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's one of these things where I, I think the encouraging thing with this system is... I don't think we've seen the best from Shaka and Ramsey in it yet. I think they grew into this match tremendously after starting a, a little bit bewildered, I think, at where they were supposed to be. And we certainly haven't seen the best from Alexis in it, which may have something to do with Giroud and just not really understanding the spacing uh, when those two are, are partnered in this formation. But I think that there's room for improvement in the attack as players learn their roles and their positions more. And maybe we experiment with a more mobile front man. And so... There's a lot of cause for optimism here, and you know it's it's not 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 just about in the nick of time. Uh, go ahead, Clive. No, I'm just going to say the challenge is now. This is where Wenger's going to be challenged. Is he gonna? We can all see the shape is working, but there's an opportunity to upgrade from within the shape. There's a couple of things that are, are not quite working, and we need to change them in this season. And we need to buy for it in the summer. Potentially, we have a another left wing back coming in. We definitely need another right wing back because even though the Ox has done well there, I'm still not convinced that's his position. Could you imagine the Ox is one of the, one of the two behind with Ozil, behind Sanchez, where he's got a bit more freedom centrally to really drive and shoot? God bless you I thinking think, that uh, Alexis and Ozil will be here next season to play. This uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've had a, I've had a wine. Sorry, mate. I lost my Fair I lost enough. my mind. But um, so. So, you know, I think there's opportunities there, you know. In centre midfield, you know, once Ramsey gave the ball away and I was expecting him to fade away and be substituted. But fair credit to him. He just worked even harder and he pushed on. And I felt, you know, by the end of the game, he just ran his own. He ran his men into the ground. 
you know so give him credit for that he did a lot of work but um but it's, it, we still saw spaces. We still saw our 106-year-old Yaya Torre running through our centre midfield with no one in the TV screen, right? So that means positioning. We still got work to do there, and we have to accept there is still improvements to be made. Are we going to upgrade on the profile of players to make it really work? Don't accept it. We had two wins. Make sure we're really holding ourselves to account, and make sure we don't slip into that comfortable culture that we've had for most of the season. I think it's really important. I do think there's a future in this shape because for the last eight years, or maybe even longer, we've been vulnerable behind our fullbacks. It's been happening for many, many years. We don't look as vulnerable in those wide areas, but we still look vulnerable in centre midfield. And so we need to fix it. We still haven't got the speed up front. So we need to fix it. And we need to really focus on it. And if we do that, I think we've got a real chance to make this work over a more over a longer yeah. over a longer term. Yeah, and you know when that when that winning goal went in, what a sense of relief and ex, ex, exhilaration there was. And you know I don't think it's coincidence that it's Alexis putting it in. You know the chance was presented first to Welbeck, who whiffed at it, and Alexis made no mistake. Granted, from close range, but I think you know the one thing you have to say about Alexis Sanchez, and it maybe wasn't a, a fantastic performance by his standards, but you cannot account enough for a player who has an act for being on the end of decisive moves. Um, and he is really special in that respect. Uh, yeah. Clive, when we got ahead and we we sort of burned, spurned a bunch of chances to, to put the game away, I worried briefly that it was going to come back to haunt us. But in the end, uh, we, we managed to see it out. What was the feeling for you at full time? I have to say, I enjoyed this game as much as any in recent memory because it wasn't one of our three nils against Chelsea and Man United where we have perfect football for 40 minutes and it's just a lovely sunny day in a home game and it just looks lovely this was a this was a, a game that not many of us had a feeling we were going to win beforehand we had to sit in and hold position we we were patient we accepted certain periods where we weren't going to be in charge we didn't overcommit too many times. We got a bit of luck. Uh, and I, I was really, really impressed with our tactical maturity. I, dare I say those words, right? But I, I, even the Giroud thing, right? Giroud was really used as a defender in the first half. He was defending furiously when Ramsey emptied. He, he dropped in. into in, And he really worked hard. He's great for crossing defences. And... Now, if I wanted, if I want to eulogise, I could say it, it actually worked on the day. We saw Hazard come on late in the um, in the Chelsea Spurs game, when you know no doubt Spurs had a game plan for Hazard, and and Conte took that away straight away. I, I think you know, much like how rugby's going, you have starters and you have finishers, right? And I think we yeah, really got to start thinking about how the bench is used. I hope Benga can actually maybe add some variation to timings, etc., to really recognise that. Most of the top games are won in the last 20 minutes, and we have to use it more carefully and recognise that we can be done there. But, yeah, it was it was tremendous. And, and can I just have a quick word on Alexis, by the way? It just, I had a little study of him, right? and a little study in how he plays and his efficiency and inefficiency on the ball. And I'm looking at the way he strikes the ball and the way he passes the ball. And what he has, he has what I call quick release. He has a very low, quick backlift. And that backlift... It's, it can lead to inaccurate passes because he snaps the ball really, really quickly. But if you put him in crowd scenes, 
its ability to have small touches in small spaces is really it's, it's really is high standard and why you, you want him in the penalty box <laughs> you want him in the you want him in the center of the goal between the sticks you really need him there because he's so fast-footed and when he gets fouled there people are going to stand off him because when he gets fouled there we're going to get free kicks i really you know he's a diligent worker we really need to work out how you use him we need to get him more central and get some at least one power runner next to him and and Ozil, to be fair to him, he runs the channels quite well. He recognises transitions quite quickly. So we've we, we got to do that. Again, it's part of the upgrade situation. We've got to get Alexis between the sticks because um, he's got a unique, fast, flashing back clip, which leads to shots that can't be saved, but also leads to inaccurate passes when we use him as a semi-midfielder. So... Um, just a little thought I have. He's going to give the ball away. He wants an extra touch. He want, You know, Alexis doesn't want to make the passes that, you know, uh, a Ramsey or a Shaka do, you know, possession-oriented passes. He wants to make the extravagant pass. He wants to play the key pass, the through ball, the yeah. the extravagant curling, in-swinging cross-field pass that lands right on the head of, the, of a striker in the box. He wants to beat two men and get into the area and have a shot. And you can do that when you're playing 25 yards from goal and in at the Absolutely. center of the pitch. It's a lot more worrying when you're 45 yards from goal, you know, on the wing, and half your team is in the attacking half of the pitch. But Absolutely. overall, I mean, one of a kind kind of player and, and someone that is just an extraordinary person to watch in, in his approach to the game. Um, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. What, what, what you coach when you're coaching a player, right? You coach them, they call it fire and ice. They say when you have. When you have the ball in, in intense moments, that's the fire. But when you're about to deliver the pass, that's when you've got to cool down and, and I call that the ice. Alexis is all fire. So you want that fire in between the six. Of course, now it makes him loose in possession, which he gets criticised for. But there's no one else scoring that goal for us yesterday. No one else. No, no one else. And, and, you know, I mean, look, it, it would be terrible if he left this summer, but we've got some time to worry about that. Tim, it's... It's a win that the club needed, that the manager needed, that the, the supporters needed. Um, it is a reminder of the high that football can deliver after delivering so much low uh, this season. What was it like at Wembley? And personally, how did it feel for you at full time? Yeah, it, it was terrific um, at Wembley. And, I, and I, think, I think everyone was expecting a decent game um, out of this. And, and I just detected that there wasn't really that sense of expectation um, amongst Arsenal fans because at no point did I hear or detect the tetchiness that has just become the absolute hallmark of watching Arsenal games, even when we went one nil down. And I, you know, I I feared the worst when we went one nil down. Um, I thought, oh no, that's like absolute sucker punch. Just when we're well on top, that like I, I couldn't see us getting back in it, even given the fact that City aren't defensively the most secure but I just detected that kind of that not so much expectation um, I don't think anyone thought I, I thought we were going to lose in the manner that we won I thought we were going to get edged out in a in a pretty even game um, and I, I predicted we'd lose 2-1 in in much the in much the circumstances that we won the game I could see us going 1-0 up and just losing it um, I think what also made a difference to the atmosphere was the fact that it's not Tottenham waiting in the final. And don't get me wrong, Chelsea is going to be an immensely tough game. And, you know, they'd be my second kind of least favourite opponents, but they're so far behind, um, you know, the prospect of, of playing Spurs that it, it almost feels like a relief 
Um, even oh, if we, you know, we're not, even if we're not going to be favourites at all, and losing to Chelsea would be horrible. But, I feel um, like we can look forward to it now. I just don't exactly. know that I could have looked forward to a North London derby in the FA Cup final. <laughs> exactly, that would have just been dread. So I think the fact that Spurs had already lost um, as well, it, it almost like not took the pressure off, but it just it just lifted, you know, some of the some of the tension. I think, and then I think we saw in the second half that this was a really even game, and we were really in with a chance and. And actually, what what happened then was people really began to engage with the game, um, and you know there was a lot of encouragement, a lot of enthusiasm, and then that you know that second half of extra time, you know I I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack, but you know I, I couldn't help thinking to myself, it's been a while since I felt like this about an Arsenal game. Usually, I spend the last fifteen minutes going, you know, just that that feeling of dread that oh my, like either we're being terrible and we're losing already in the last 15 minutes are thoroughly miserable or we're hanging on for dear life for a game we really should be winning fairly comfortably and you think oh god don't concede now it, it's and it, and even you know that there's only really been one other game this season that compares to this and it's the Chelsea home game way back in September and we had that one by half time so again it, you know it's been a while since we've had that kind of it, do you know what it, it felt a little bit like um, when we won at United um, in the 2015 Cup run? That kind of after Welbeck scored that last 15 minutes where you're kind of holding on, but you're thinking, yeah, I, I think we're going to hold on. I think we're going to do it. And, you know, the screaming for the final whistle kind of thing. And, and you know, it was, it was just kind of elation at full time. I think, I think there were so many factors um, in it, the kind of the lack of expectation, but then the idea that Arsenal, you know, ha- actually had a game plan and they were very much in this game throughout and that they needed a bit of encouragement in extra time because you could see some legs were going and you didn't get, really, really didn't get any of the negativity. And, and you know, like you guys were saying earlier, it, it kind of makes the end of the season okay now, um, come what may, because there's that, there's that final on the horizon and a lot of people probably have made their peace with finishing below Tottenham by now. Quite a lot of people might have made their peace with not finishing in the top four, albeit the Liverpool result, you know, perhaps puts us back in the picture. But it's still it's still a big ask. But, you know, having that final on the horizon just makes the last couple of weeks of the season a little bit lighter um, again. And it, it was just it was so, so sorely needed. Um, and like I said, if, if you know, prior to yesterday, if you were asked, if you asked a hundred Arsenal fans what their favourite game of the season was, I mean, a hundred people would say Chelsea because it's the only choice. Um, whereas yeah. this, this kind of introduces like another, it's another memory, you know, for the season. And obviously, it will be a better memory if we go on and win the final. But it, it felt like a little bit of a release, and I hope it's, um, you know, it's almost like a. Uh, you know, listen. We thought this about the Leicester game last season, didn't we? But so I'm not. I'm not going to fall into the trap just yet. But I hope it's just like a little, you know, like a thunderstorm for the fan base, um, a little bit, so that so that we can all kind of get together, be a bit happier about, you know, with each other as much as anything, and and really look forward to this final in a few weeks because it will be much the same in the final. We're not going to be favourites again, um, and you know. It, it might be a little bit of a war of attrition. We're going to have to be focused and switched on off the ball. And, you know, the, the, the team are really going to need the fans behind them again at Wembley. But, you know, it, it feels like 
you know, it feels like we can at least have something that there's basically there's a glimmer of light on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sure does. A few notes, too. I think, uh, first of all, hats off to you and the rest of the Arsenal fans who were at Wembley because they were really all you heard all match long. Just fantastic representation from the Arsenal fans. Um, We could debate the refereeing performance. I don't think it's worth it. I just never really think it is because... We're three Arsenal fans. We're going to sit here and say mostly we think he got it right or it bounced out, and what are we going to do, debate the call? I mean, they had some shouts for penalties or cards that they didn't get. I think in the end, the better shouts for penalties were arguably ours. Um, So, you know, it can go either way. Um, Just an incredible result for Arsene Wenger in that not just to get to another FA Cup final in a season that really felt like it was caving in on his head, but to do it against the manager that's held up as the paragon of modern uh, tactical management and and all the things that Arson isn't and all the ways he's been passed by and for Arson to make the change the tactically to set his team up if you believe the Middlesbrough game was really preparation for this which I think you, you make strong argument that it was to set his team up for this and then to to get the better of Pep I think is just an incredible situation for him. Um, <clears throat> and a reminder that there's a little life in the old dog yet. Uh, you know, I, I think you can always debate, oh, would it have been better if he lost because then maybe Arsene Wenger couldn't stay and his situation would become untenable. I think if you can't enjoy Arsenal winning a football game because you are so focused on uh, external factors and ramifications and you are going to be miserable, and as someone who often takes the miserable viewpoint of things, even I will not sink to those depths. Um, I want to just quickly go on a rant because I think uh, without that, this wouldn't be a podcast. So, you know, for me, I think this game is a classic example of why there's so much frustration with Arsene Wenger in the last decade under Arsene Wenger. And, you know, people will ask me, oh, why do you want Arsene Wenger out? You're top four every season. You're in the Champions League every season. You're in the Champions League knockout every season. And I think in abstraction, none of the seasons for the last decade have been terrible. For about 12 years, we've had 12 consecutive decent seasons. Not one that you can really say is terrible, although we may be in the midst of that and may have just halted that with this win. The problem is we haven't had a great season, and that's what supporting a team is all about, because your hope is for something exceptional, something superior. Um, You know, you look at life, and life is pretty much typified by a lot of very ordinary days, Um, and we support these teams to give us the exceptional day, the extraordinary day, the day that stands out, the day that you know, becomes one of those that goes into your pantheon and you always remember it. And those FA Cup finals have given us that. And obviously league wins give you that. And what cup football does is it gives you something that the league can't always give you, which is the chance for an exceptional moment. Because you lose and you're out and you win in your advance. Um, You know, in the league, it's 38 games and each game is just one piece of that 38-piece puzzle. And so you don't always get that big exhilarating release unless and until you do win the league. Um, and that moment when that happens at White Hart Lane. But, you know, I, I think what's happened is because our seasons have just been typified by so much acceptable results and performances without enough extraordinary results and performances and outcomes, that then when the season does start to disappoint, all the frustration of the absence of exceptionalism caves in. And this game was a reminder because it felt exceptional to win, to get to a cup final, beating Manchester City at Wembley. And I realize it's just the semifinal, but there just hasn't been enough of this. And I'm saying this as someone who has seen us recently win two FA Cups, so I realize, you know, we may be a little bit spoiled. But 
It's wins like this that I think really make you realize why holding up top four, while it is certainly a creditable achievement, is not the same as winning something, as doing something exceptional. Um, because we all have our own finishing in the top four lives, if you know what I mean. Doing okay, doing well. But we want that title winning life, that cup winning life, that Champions League winning life, that, that exceptional moment. And that's what we want football to give us. Um, and on this day, it got us one step closer to this, that, and it certainly felt like it a little bit. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, we've covered the, the key moments in the game. Uh, Clive, I'll just uh, give you a second to touch on this, and Tim, I'll give you this as well, just really quickly. Um, how important do you think this was for Arsene Wenger? I mean, you saw what it meant to him at full time. Um, I don't mean with respect to whether he'll resign or stay on, but just in terms of this crisis moment in his tenure at Arsenal, this gives him a real chance, if he does decide to go out, to go out on top and to rehabilitate at least a little bit a reputation that has started to be characterized by resentment among the supporters, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I'm really pleased for him, uh, not just that he got the result, but, but how he got the result. He really won the tactical battle. He really won that. He looked like a manager that made changes before the game and made changes during the game and they worked out so as someone who personally is interested in that side of the game i gotta give him credit but i want to look beyond him and most the best thing i saw was okay okay we beat city but we look more united as a group as a club and and that to me is why i support us it's a club and the disunity that i've seen We've all seen, not just I. Um, it's really quite heartbreaking for whatever the reasons are. And that's not what supporting a club is all about. Supporting a club, to me, is about being with like-minded people that care about one singular thing, which is Arsenal Football Club and and, as far as, and the people within that. And to see all the fighting amongst fans and the online abuse between us all, it's not great. For one day, maybe only, only a couple of days, Really, we look very united, and, and and I like that. That's what it's all about for me. Yeah, it's just great not to be tearing each other apart, to be tearing our hair out. In fact, I would argue it's just great to feel anything because I think the season for me has been characterized by a lot of uh, numbness in some ways and apathy in some ways, and that's really the worst, is to not feel moved to a deep feeling by your club. And this felt great because it was a big, joyful feeling. Um Tim, I know you have tremendous affection for Arsene Wenger, and while I think you have swung mm. now to the opinion that his time should be up, I'm sure it was wonderful for you to see the great man celebrating on the touchline at full time and, and for him to have a moment like this and hopefully one last, I hate to say one last, I mean he might be staying and hopefully yeah. it's many more, but but a, a, another cup final for him to, to potentially, like I said, rehabilitate a little bit of this flagging reputation with the supporters. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I've been reflecting on this in the in the last day or so. It's it's quite weird, isn't it? But um, probably in the years, you know, immediately after the stadium when we were finishing in the top four and we weren't getting anywhere near cup finals really, or well, we had the league cup final against Birmingham, but we we didn't really make a serious challenge for the FA Cup for a few years while we were kind of, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I never felt like we really had to make a black and white choice between the top four and winning a trophy, but. You know, there was there was a lot of kind of oh, I don't really care about the top four. I, I want I want finals and I want trophies. And I have got a lot of sympathy with that point of view. And I, it's 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 quite weird and maybe a little bit ironic that that this year, you know, 
some people are going to get what they wish for, i.e. not in the top four, but we're going to be in the final and, and you know, hopefully win another trophy. And, um, you know, a third domestic trophy in four years would be, you know, I, I, I recognise the reality of modern football and that winning the FA Cup is, is not what it used to be in most people's eyes. Um, I recognise the reality of what most club owners think because quite a lot of managers that win the FA Cup are still sacked now. Um, but personally, I still feel, as a fan, I still feel very, very old-fashioned about it. I, I love, I love the FA Cup. I, I'd love to see us win the League Cup again. I really, really would because, you know, my my first year as a season ticket holder, we won both of them, and there were four trips to Wembley, and it was amazing. And and you know, ultimately, I'm just a fan. I'm not a bean counter. I'm not the chairman. You know, I don't have to. I don't have to really worry about things like. Um, you know, are we going to get in the top four and what's our turnover going to be and things like that. Um, I think Clive hit the nail on the head when you support a club. Um, what you want are days like Sunday, are days like cup finals at Wembley. That That's what it's really all about and everyone coming together and everyone having that, that really that, that same agenda together. And I think that's something really nice that a cup gives you um, because like you say, you know, each game is kind of do or die. So everybody is focused on the same thing. And, you know, there was none of the like the silly infighting and and things like that yesterday because everyone just knew just win, just win one way or another, just win, go through, get to a final. And, um, you know, I, I still feel unashamedly old fashioned about all of those things. So, I mean, personally, I'm 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 fine with the idea of us finishing six and winning the FA Cup. Yeah. It doesn't hugely bother me. But, you know, I'm I, I, am, I am thrilled for us and it does hopefully show there's a little bit of life still in the old dog um as it were to i you know it was it was a marginal game you know we could just just as easily have lost this as won it so you know i don't think we're in any position to say oh arson you know really got one over guardiola there but it showed we can compete um it showed why we've been underperforming this season because we're capable we're very capable of competing with opponents like that. I don't look at City's squad and think they're better than ours. Um, so, you know, if we just have that little bit of off-the-ball rigour, that little bit of fight that we can win games like this, that we, you know, if we do the same to Chelsea, we've got every chance of winning, um, even if I acknowledge that we're not favourites. So, you know, it, it, it was fantastic, and it was fantastic for us. And, I was, I, you know, I loved seeing that at the end. Um and, you know, my absolute ideal, I think, would be for him to beat Chelsea in the cup final and stroll into the sunshine him from and, there. Him and, yeah. Um, and I thought, I thought that in 2014 as well, even though in 2014, I think my stance was more do that for your sake, whereas now I've probably come round to more... For all of yeah, our sakes. <laughs> do, do it for all of our sakes. But, you know, like you say, I, I have a tremendous amount of affection for him. And, and you know, look, his record in this competition is absolutely outstanding and if he can win this again you know seven times um when he arrived in england tottenham held the record for the most fa cups with eight um you know he he stands to get well he's already pretty he's already three quarters of the way there so um he stands to you know get a long way to that all on his own so um more power to him yeah um yeah well said and I think, you know, look, the teams you go through in the semifinal and final help you remember the occasion, right? Um, I, I think beating City and Chelsea and, you know, title-winning Chelsea to win the FA Cup would be something that would be a lot more memorable. 
um, denying them the double. You know, this is the point. Look, I, I fully acknowledge the importance of finishing top four in the Champions League, and, and I love the Champions League. I, I am a huge admirer of the competition and hugely, uh, uh, I would say, desirous of, of winning it. But what I can tell you is Spurs fans aren't sitting around saying, oh, what do we want to do for the finishing second place game? You know, wh- wh- what's our big day out for the finishing second place match? We're planning our day out for the cup final. And that's going to be a day, you know, we may remember badly, we may remember well, but we've got a big day out to look forward to. You know, I'm planning it. I'm going to go do something fun and celebrate with friends and go out and get drunk and watch the game and have a great time. And you can't do that for the game where you lock up second place or confirm top four, no matter how important it is. So, you know, sometimes you have to look forward to the things that make life fun. And this is going to make it a very fun day in May that, you know, only us and Chelsea fans are going to have. Um so enough about that. Uh, it's Leicester midweek, and then it's a North London Derby at the weekend. So a big week of football, but more importantly, a big week of podcasts. And I, I want to thank you, Tim, for being able to focus on the game and really recall any of the details of the game, because I'm sure it was mostly just a haze of uh, joy and excitement from being recognized by someone for being a member of this podcast. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So... <laughs> I know that happened, and I know it, it probably made it hard to concentrate on the football, but I'm glad you were able to. Tim is on Twitter, <laughs> at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Yep. Clive, who, if that is your real name, can be found on Twitter at ClivePAFC, has not been recognized for being on this podcast yet, uh, except for one review, which said, can I call him a tosser? And, of course, you can call him a tosser. In any event, we are thrilled to have Clive on the podcast. Clive, thank you, as always. Thanks for having me. My name is Elliot Smith. I am the Chief Tosser, and I am on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, where you can block me. Please give us five-star review and write nasty stuff in the comments section. We gave you a smooth hour and 15 minutes on our FA Cup semifinal win. Be sure to tune into the three-hour installment uh, May 28th after we have lifted the cup. Up the Arsenal, we'll talk to you after Lester. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.